You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. All right, John. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. Hello, welcome to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Its purpose is to dissect the horror films that we've grown to love, whether they're old or new. And with the upcoming release of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery hitting Australian cinemas this Thursday, April 4th, we thought we'd delve into the genesis of the novel in, uh, that the movie was inspired by, Stephen King's original 1983 classic, the 1989 movie adaptation, along with this current release. I'm your lead host for the podcast, Saul Muerte, and I'm joined for this podcast episode with Nick Alford. Welcome aboard, Nick. Thank you, Paul. Good to be here, as always. Yeah. It's so good to be here. I'm, I'm still in my house and you're in yours. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the beauty of uh, the internet connection. So longer the days where we used to kind of just have a chat in the uh, in the audio booth back at work. Um, yeah. But we con- oh, God, yeah. we're continuing the love um, of horror, and thank you for coming aboard. I should actually uh, mention that um, if uh, people like Nick's comments and stuff, he uh, represents Watch It Wombat as well. So uh, go over to Watch It Wombat to look up our other films that you talk about because you're not all just about horror, are you, buddy? No, it's about anything sort of pop culture, movie, you know. Uh anything really anything current even old stuff too so yeah, yeah. just uh, find us at watch it one bat and come and have a nose round absolutely so, man let's know Cool. Um, so, look, um, we're gonna we're gonna obviously talk about Pet Cemetery, um, and it's had two movies now. Now that this current one's just come out, um, starring John Lithgow and Jason Clarke, um, and um, the the novel itself was a uh, 1983 release from Stephen King. Um, oh, hello. That's a bit freaky. Pet Cemetery bark, barking dogs in the background. Can you hear that's my dog. That's really? Hey, why? What's going <laughs> on? Um, <laughs> she'll end up in the pet cemetery if she's not here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, settle down. <laughs> <laughs> Careful what you wish for, though. Careful what you wish for, because some, sometimes, sometimes dead is better, mate. You know, that's all I'm saying. Um, so yeah, look, 1983 kind of a novel. I, I don't actually. I was just trying to look off the cuff there, and I, I can always um, have a check of this later on of, of where Pet Cemetery sits in in the um, realm of his work, Stephen King's work. Um, but I might kind of crowbar that in later on as we're as we're talking. Apparently, uh, Stephen King wrote it five years before it was released and was suffering some severe depression. And so he just stuck it in his bottom drawer and then yeah. to fill an obligation with his publisher, apparently then just said, right, okay, have this one then. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah, he, he was, it was like, um, you know, he was uh, with his publisher, he, was, he owed them a book, essentially, and he was, he, the part of the reason he was hesitant about releasing this was because of, you know, he, it was quite dark in its subject matter. Um, and he, he himself has actually said it was, it was the darkest novel he's ever written. Um, and so, yeah, he was just incredibly reluctant to kind of release it, and as you quite rightly said, was obligated to release another book with his um, with his publisher. And so he dusted that one off. His wife kind of insisted, maybe he should, because it's got it's got uh, stuff in there that will resonate with with the audience, you know, with readers. And um, I don't know if have you have you ever read the book yourself, buddy, or 
No, but I've, I really want to now after, yeah. you know, after we're going to talk about it now. I mean, I guess one of the questions I'll ask you yeah. later down the track is, is it worth reading after seeing two movies about it? Like, <laughs> is there still a story to be told, you know? Sure. Is there a dog that no one knows about, you know? <laughs> Yeah, there's look, there's there's element there's stuff there that's mentioned, you know, like uh, that's in the films, but they don't really hark on to. Um, you know, there's there's definitely stuff. Look, I, look I, it's it's one of those things. Like I I went through a phase of reading Stephen King uh, books when I was uh, in my pre-teens through to my early teens. Um, and Pet Cemetery, I was one that really stuck in my mind. Um, and when I reread it, and, you know, ahead of the, this new film coming out and this podcast, I was uh, instantly kind of, kind of caught up with it, you know. And I was just like, yeah, there was. There, I really liked the book. Um, it's very different to uh, Salem's Lot, which I know we obviously spoke about um, semi recently. Yeah. Um, and. Um, by this point, and that's why I was going to have a quick look to see where where this one sits with his, um, uh, you know, with his novels. Um, uh, I should look up his big bibliography because, um, yeah, I'm just not sure at what stage this comes at, you know, through that. But I, I, my point was is that I really, I kind of distinctly remember. Um, reading this one when I was younger and when I reread this uh, recently that it, it all that kind of all those thoughts kind of started flooding to the surface a, a lot more um, but would you recommend it to someone who's seen two films about it like is there still is it could I get something out of it do you know what I mean or is it just pretty much what you see on screen like, a lot of it is what you see on the screen but I I'd, I'd, I'd still argue that the book's better than both those films um he, it's a lot richer, um, and there's this underlying kind of thing that's going along with it. You know, um, the stuff that. Um, um, okay, so nine eighty three. So by that point, he'd already written like the likes of obviously Christine and uh, Firestarter. The Stand had already come out. The Shining, Sense Lot, Carrie had all come out. Cool. I just wanted to kind of look at that. So, um, but. Yeah, look, there's points in it. Like one thing I was quite intrigued about, which was absent in the first film, the 1989 film, was the the idea of the um, the Wendigo. Um, I was just going to ask about that. If yeah, that was a big feature because I don't remember it being in the original movie. No, it wasn't. Was it? No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't at all. Um, and it wasn't even it wasn't even mentioned. It wasn't even touched upon. Um, and uh, and and I guess like the presence of it in um, and even this modern one, the the new one, it's only really mentioned when they look at it in the book, isn't it? When they just when they happen to kind of come across it in the book, and you hear some rustling rustling in the trees and things That's like right, that. That's right, yeah. Whereas in it's the featured go on, in the sorry. book, yeah, a little bit. Like again, it's it's subtle enough, but it is described like like so. Uh, Louis comes across it in the woods uh, beyond the Deadlands. Um, and he's early. He's aware of this big shape moving through the woods, and he kind of wants to dismiss it. Um, and then, like a one, there's a giant tree falls down, kind of quite near to him. 
Um, so he knows that it's big enough to be able to knock over these trees and stuff. Um, and he's kind of almost in fear of it, but knows he wants to steer away from it. So, and the, the thing that's kind of hinted at in the book is the Wendigo is almost this, is the entity that's luring them into the Deadlands. Um, and, and everything that, and everything that's beyond the Deadlands is, is otherworldly. Like, you know, they see, um, uh, corpse lights out there or, or what is known as will-o'-the-wisps and things like that, you know, and when they hear that howling and stuff, which is, they do kind of mention it a bit in both, um, or both movies, you know, uh, where Louis says, what's that noise? And, and Judd says, it's just a loon. Um, so there is something kind of dark and sinister beyond, um, and for those that don't know what the what a Wendigo is, it's definitely it comes from a uh, you know like a folklore background of uh, this mythical man-eating creature um, in the northern forests of you know around the Atlantic coast region, um, and it's like it's this uh, large and life kind of creature essentially. If you go- if you Google it, you can get some pretty kind of cool images. It almost kind of looks like a stick cross between like a stick figure kind of thing and a moose. Um, it's a huge, huge thing yeah. terrifying yeah. Um, I'm probably not giving it justice it, it does kind of look like that um, but yeah so it's but it, it, it always intrigued me about and it's done in a way that slightly you know leaves it to the imagination in the book as well and I, I always think that works best when you kind of leave things a little bit unknown um, so you kind of describe it enough to know and invoke, invoke that fear um, but not go into too much detail. Just let let the human mind kind of take over and play with it a little bit. But it, it's strange because in the modern film, yeah, um, in the new film, sorry, the 2019, they it doesn't really seem to serve much of a purpose. Like no, it's there no. as like an ominous presence, but yeah. you're not sure if it's like its domain or if it's just living there or you know, it's I don't know. It felt like it didn't need to be there no i agree i completely agree with that like there's so much about the new film which just didn't resonate with me um and i'm still Mm. i'm still struggling to find a positive out of it um you know and like uh i just is i i really wanted a lot from it and i was hoping to that they gain something from it because I, I like when I rewatched the uh, the original movie recently, like literally watched it the weekend before I watched the new one um, again, and um, and I found that upon watching the old one, there there was definitely room to kind of explore, and I thought, yeah, do you know what? I think a modern version of it it, it would it could work, mm. um, and I and I wanted it to go. I wanted the new like so. One of the reasons that the Stephen King was so hesitant about releasing the novel is because it taps into grief and what grief can do to a person if it's not handled yeah. correctly. Now we've all ex- we all experience grief, we all experience death, and we know that death is inevitable, but we don't know how to handle that. And some you know, and it's that age-old kind of question about that. Um, and I think that's why why the book resonates. You know, like you could read it and it still sits because it, it, it is a, it's essentially out there, and death is all around us the whole time. And 
this is what I feel like the, the recent movie doesn't convey at all. It doesn't have this feeling of, of death is imminent and, mm. and can touch us all. And even when the characters talk about death, it's done in a jokey way. The first time um, uh, Ellie Creed, the daughter, talks to the parents about death, because obviously she's gone up to see the pet cemetery and she becomes inqui- oh, yeah. inquisitive yeah. and starts raising those questions about what is death, what does it mean? Um, and they both have a, the parents have a very different point of view about it, and it's done in a comical way. Um, you know, and it yeah. felt it felt like that was the tone moving forward. Death is just a joke. Um, and when when Ellie essentially is the one that comes back from the dead, even that is kind of comical. Where he lies in bed with her, it's it's, yeah. all, it's awkward. He it feels was- awkward. You can sense he's awkward, but it comes across as funny. Um, and so I think it kind of just lost a lot of the meaning. And so I was really hoping the new one would go dark and and really touch on something that is like death is a conversation that we should be talking about it's it's become a taboo thing um and we as a society aren't open enough to discuss that the fact that it is an everyday occurrence and louis character is that he talks about it in book in in the book and in both movie versions he's he because he's a doctor anyway but he talks about death quite frankly and quite openly um, mm. And I find that really refreshing as a character um, to be able to do that, especially as I said, death has become such a taboo thing. And I thought this new movie had a perfect vehicle to open that discussion up again and and make it an interesting point of view. Um, but it it went with a very different angle and a different approach. And so I kind of was left a bit wanting after that, going that that's a shame um, that it that it went there. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit hard because there were, like, I went with a mate who's not really into movies or horror movies even, and he was sort of asking me, like, was it supposed to be a comedy? Because there were, like, there were genuine moments when everyone just started laughing, and you're not sure if that was deliberate or, you know, there'd be moments where Ellie jumped up from behind the, or creeped up from behind the bed, and it was, it looked like it was done with a comical intent. Yeah. And it was bizarre because there was nothing to be gained from laughing there. Like, you lose all the tension. Yeah. You know, you, you want to build that suspense. But when it's like, oh, okay, just being silly. It's, it's almost like a reverse, an anti-jump scare. Having yeah. that yeah. element of humour yeah. just brings you down another level. Like, they've, they've spent enough time building it up and it's like, oh, okay, a little giggle. Nothing really funny. Yeah, but just like yeah. a quirky look or suddenly church the cattle come out and just go meow and it'd be like oh, oh, oh you know yeah and, and, it, it, and that, even really even church was it. even church was comical like do you know what i mean like the growls and stuff he'd done yeah. it, and to yeah. camera and that you just like it and so I mean. and so the horror element gets lost you just go well that not what am i supposed to be scared of here yeah and 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 it was relying too much on mm. jump scares there was like something like four or five truck jump scares that came across uh, and oh, so many trucks. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest though, the first two jump uh, truck jump scares got me. Yes, okay. There was those two with the trucks. Like, even though you know what to expect, and mm. like even with with um, uh, Zelda falling down yeah. the dumb waiter shaft. Yeah. yeah. Like you're looking up an empty dark tunnel. 
you know it's coming. Yeah. Yes, there's a big sign saying jump scare coming right here. Even then, I still just went, oh! Yeah. It still got me, and you could tell it got the rest of the audience in the cinema as well. Yeah. But, you know, the truck ones felt a bit lazy. It's like, yeah. oh, we need to throw in some extra scares to make it a scary movie. Let's just throw the cat in, and he'll jump out. Yeah. You know, or yeah. a truck. It was very, uh, it was very like uh, la- lazy, lazy directing um, in that sense and storytelling yeah. in that sense. Um, and it was a shame, as I said, like I, I just, I, I wanted, I really wanted so much from this movie. Um, and the other thing that, too, yeah. the other thing I felt when I came out of it was for a film that's meant to be about death and grief, it lacked in any emotion from the characters um, so that we weren't feeling anything for any of the characters when these things were happening. Um, you know, even the neighbour, like with Judd, the neighbour, and, and he him suddenly kind of being quite... And I, I love John Lithgow, and I actually came out of it still thinking he did such a fine job as Judd. He was great, yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't mean it in the sense of performance-wise. I mean purely from um, the emotion that the characters are feeling. Um was void and I just felt like when Judd is talking about how much he loved the cat loved the cat because you know and had genuine emotion towards Ellie you're going really Mm. Um, I didn't get that at all you were quite cranky with her and like and and the point where he went over for dinner and sat down with them and you know and they're having that kind of family moment I just felt that it it felt so forced it didn't feel genuine at all yeah, even though it was like coming for dinner, you feel like you've missed out on weeks of them getting to know each other. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like I'm a I'm a cranky old dude. Get mm. off my lawn. Cut to oh having having dinner. Oh, that's a good cat. Yeah. Hello, little girl. You have a special place in my heart and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah. whoa, where did all this come from? What, what have we missed? Is there like eight hours of deleted scenes? <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, and that's always hard, though, isn't it, to convey all that in in a in a film um, because you're restricted to a, a running time. But in in the novel, mm. like Louis ends up, uh, he describes Judd as almost a bit of a surrogate father, but even at points saying he was his best friend, um, and doesn't really realise that until quite near the end of how genuine he felt about this old guy because. When he when they first meet them, they like, and that's the other thing too. Like um, both films uh, kind of stripped out the Norma character, which was um, Judd's wife. Oh um, right, yeah. And um, and I found that odd. Both times I was like, why why do that? Um, and because like the, in the first one we get get replaced by a character that's called, uh, her name was uh, I don't know uh, yeah Missy Dan- Missy Dan- Dandridge right so she's the maid that keeps coming over and helping and tidying up around the house and stuff um, so we kind of get her and I felt like oh maybe that's what they're doing there they have got her as a replacement and she's the one that commits suicide because she's in so much pain um, by hanging herself so I thought well, in in that sense you kind of forgive it because. Uh, not not what she does, but uh, the replacement of Norma with her because it still echoes the fact that death is always around us and it showed a different form of death with her committing suicide uh, out of the pain. And the Norma character is also, so Judd's wife, is also a character that's in an immense amount of pain. Um, and Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so Judd, uh, Judd is, um, sorry, uh, 
Louis is uh, kind of generally kind of looking out for her and she's a bit bedridden and kind of, you know, comes into the um, in and out of the conversations that Judd and Louis have. But she's a presence. And when she actually dies um, in it, it's actually a quite a, a lead up to it. She has a heart attack first. So this is all sowing the seeds. She has a really uh, a stroke um, during the trick-or-treating event. Uh, which is Ellie's first kind of trip out trick-or-treating and Ellie's with her at the time it happens but it's told from Louis's perspective when Ellie comes running up to him going something's happened to her something's happened and he comes up and she's had this kind of heart attack essentially um, and gets taken into hospital um, so when she eventually does die it's, it's a, as I said it, it's, it's a sowing the seeds of death always been around us um, and I and I thought that was something that was handled really well in the book, but it was interesting that both movies decided to completely pull her character out of the way. Um, is is yeah. in the book? Do they touch on? Um, is Judd inclined to to bury her and bring her back? Like, is is he going through the same? No, no, he doesn't. Like, yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't at all. So, because it it's the whole thing about. Um, burying a person um when that's first addressed louis says it to begin with but this isn't around this is before gage dies so in the book gage the son dies in the 1989 version gage the son dies and obviously the twist component of the latest one is that they flip it and have ellie being the one that dies and we'll get to that a bit later but to answer your question um the first time it kind of gets risen about can um has anyone ever tried burying a person up there um louis mentions it after the church moment so when church comes back and they've gone up there and they've buried the cat and the cat comes back and and this revelation that something up there is otherworldly and these things happen louis just asks it as a bit of an offhand question which kind of works like you re- as you read that you go yeah that's a good that's a fair enough question because you know and judd's response is no very flat out says no why would you why would you even entertain that kind of idea and it's not until later on when gage dies judd's going i, I again they touch on this in the new film where judd kind of is like i know what you're thinking don't don't go there and he re- that's where he reveals it's ha- it has happened. I lied before. Somebody did try and do it, and um, and it's touched on in the in the original movie too, where we see um, this father character, and he's he basically brings his his son back to life, but the son's a lot older. Um, mm. But the son basically starts attacking people, and he's you know not very well, and um, and he tries to contain this guy tries to contain it in the house and the people come round almost like a Frankenstein story where they come round and they burn the house down and the father and the son die in the burning building and that's is that what they is that why they set fire to the building because I didn't really see any point in that that's why they did it in the in the in the movie in the first movie they did that yeah and then the second as well in the second in the second one, it, they, it, they don't... It opens, it opens on, sorry, not their home, Judd's home. Judd's home, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, that was... But, an, and, they do, and it's Louis that, in the, in the book and in the 1989 version, Louis's the one that sets fire to the house. Um, and he does that because, essentially, 
Gage has killed Judd, he's killed um, Rachel, the mum, and Louis killed Gage. So he just he wants to destroy the evidence basically by setting fire to everything, right. and so that he can get away with it by so he's covering his tracks because it's this is all his mess. He's the one that goes back up there to uh, resurrect Gage, and in doing so, Gage comes down and kills Judd and then kills Rachel. So yeah. he wants to wipe slate clean. From as far as everyone knows, Rachel's still alive, like outside of him. So that's why he goes. I can still, I can still save this, um, you know. So he goes. I'm, I'm going to fix things. I'm going to take, I'm going to take Ellie, uh, Rachel up, and I'm going to try it again. And this time it's going to work. Um, and so he, bur- he's the one that takes Rachel up back up to the, uh, to the burial ground, uh, okay. and buries her. And then the book ends, uh, and the same way the 1989 film ends in a way. Is the so the book ends where he's sitting in the lounge room and he hears his wife coming through and says hello, darling, and that's where it finishes. Yeah. In, in the oh, 1989 version, they kind of go a little bit further and they go quite gory with the makeup and have her whole face kind of pussing and her eye kind of gaping yeah. out, and they go in for that passionate snog while she then. Oh yeah, God. Yeah, and then she pulls out the knife. And hovers it over his back, and then it cuts to black, and you hear the little screaming and stuff. Um, I always loved that ending for the original film. Amazing. Yeah, that's so good. It's such a. It was such a good moment. Um, so in that way, like I, I you know, there, there's a, it's very different to the way obviously the new film uh, goes. Because sorry, touching on um, Judd's wife again. Yeah. That that was a really strange bit in the new movie for me mm. when um, Ellie goes. I know what you did to her or something. It's like a really short throwaway comment as mm. though Judd murdered her or did something to her. Or mm. Maybe I misheard it, but it sounded like, you know, I'm there with your wife and she said you did something to her or she killed her. Maybe I misheard it. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, it I... sounded like they were trying to just cram it in. Yeah, I, I think that does touch on a little bit with the, with the novel. Like, not that he killed her, um, but... Um, the when Gage comes back, he and attacks Judd. He basically says to Judd, um, "I'm I'm with here. I you know I've I've seen your wife, and she's a whore. She always was a whore. She slept behind your back um, with, yes. with your best mate and all this stuff. And so he he's trying to get a rise out of out of Judd. So he but he's also he insinuates that stuff was never quite right between the two of them." And paint a very different picture to what we've been led to believe, and I think maybe that's what the new movie was trying to touch on a bit. Yeah, okay. Um, but like I said, a lot of it just got got missed for me with the new with the new film. Um, to its credit, I think I think it was trying to pay a bit of an homage to the original movie. Uh, and to the people that may have seen the original movie, by making these deliberate twists away from what people were expecting. But that's what annoyed me. I know that's what because, annoyed you. Yeah. Yeah. I know we so just because to for me watching it, having not seen the original in a while, yeah, I'd be like, oh yeah, there's that cool scene, and they there's a few moments where they deliberately set up those scenes and then just subvert it at the end. It's like. Okay, it's it's Ellie who's going to die. Yeah. And instead of 
you know, um, cutting with a scalpel under the bed. He does it down, you know, it happens up down in the cellar. It just feels like, okay, so it's exactly the same. You've just changed one person or changed the location. Yeah. I, I don't feel like that's enough. Yes, I see. I, I know. And it was here just... Got the Sorry, got, you got. No, I was going to say. See, I see. I quite liked when they did that in the bedroom scene because it plays on two parts. Because everyone thinks they always hide under the bed. So even if you weren't aware of the original movie, it is kind of it is kind of cool that he kicks the bed away because he's like it's under the bed. You expect it to be under the bed and it's not. You're um, right. That's what you want them to do in a horror movie. It's like don't do the obvious thing, and it didn't. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. And I kind of like that. And I also, in turn, like the fact that it was also a nod to the fact that we're we're not actually going to play by the rules of what you expect for those that have seen the original movie. Um, so yeah. I kind of liked it from that point of view. And then, then it still stuck to the fact that um, you know he severed his um, her, the Achilles, and and, yeah. and had it, and that's why he's incapable of moving. What I liked about the original movie, though, it took it one step further, and and because he bites on the neck you know um, and pulls the, the neck out um, and so it's quite a gruesome death and I and what I liked about that too is because Lou is the one that's going, been going around talking um, and it's almost like it's gone against the word of 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 whatever this entity is it's like you've been speaking ill of us by kind of saying I shouldn't have told you and stuff and that's not what they want they want people to go up there and feed off this energy and I like the fact that by ripping out the vocal cord, that's almost like a way of them saying, "Yeah, this is this is why this is why we're we're killing." Them. Oh, nice! Like, um, I didn't pick up on that bit. I don't know if people this. did. I, this might be just my own, purely my own interpretation of it. But I kind of like that. I thought, well, if that's the way, I, that's the way I want to read it. I think that's kind of kind of a cool thing. Um, yeah. So look, and that so there are kind of elements that it does bits of twists along the way and obviously the, uh, the Judd's wife bit was one of them the switch of the of the gender thing was also interesting I I don't know about like I don't I've got to be really careful because I know that a lot of people were praising the girl's performance in the new one uh, Jet Lawrence I think her name was um, and I'm, I apologise if I'm pronouncing her name wrong but I I found it I found she was just okay like mediocre I didn't find her um, I, I didn't warm to her as a character when she was alive. I found her probably a bit more engaging when she was dead, because <laughs> uh, at least I thought it, it was a very macabre kind of approach, like you know, dark sense of humour to her. But then, as soon as that early part was played, it became one note, and I was like, "Yeah, you're not offering anything beyond that," you know, and. Yeah, there was elements in there, and I, I had this fear, I had this thought about um, Zelda. I thought we'd, maybe we should talk about Zelda. You know, the the, the sister that was um, yeah, yeah. the disease. Because in the in the uh, in the original film, it's obviously uh, it was played by a guy. Um, in that, his name was Andrew Hubstock, Huberstock or Hubertog. Um and he was. Um, and the choice behind that was the director's perspective was that her name was Mary Lambert. One of the, uh, yeah, we've got to praise her. She was uh, a female director in the 1980s, which was kind of a really unheard of thing. And not only that, but she actually made a film which was actually still stands strong today, you know. Um, 
so you've got to really commend her her for what she, what she did and a lot of things she did in that movie are still really quite powerful one of the choices I said was uh, casting a guy like a, a grown guy to play the Zelda character which I remember like the images of him uh, or, or as the girl Zelda haunted me you know as a kid when I watched that film um and I think it's still stuck in the mind of a lot of people today. But when I watched it back, it's clearly a bloke. Um, and I found that was really disjointed when I watched it recently. And I thought, well, that was, I don't know, it threw me when I, when I tried to watch it this time around. Um, and I kind of thought that was an odd choice to make now that I'm watching it now. And I thought, I, the reason her choice was because she said, like, girls, the girls are, are a bit too small and then she needed this kind of big presence and even like young boys uh, like a young boy wouldn't work so like, that's why we went with an older kind of guy that's still slight in build um so it was, it was interesting and i always thought i prefer i think i just prefer it to be a girl and that's where the new one went and i mm. liked it i thought the design her design was actually quite quite cool i thought she was freaky it had essence obviously of what modern cinema audiences would have with Samara, you know, and from uh, Ring and those kind of, uh, you know, yeah, the clicky yeah. sort of spider, spider. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which kind of again is is doesn't offer anything new, but I kind of liked it. And it, as you said, it had the jump scare in it, which got me as well. Admittedly, uh, even though I was completely expecting it to come, it still made me jump. Um, yeah. But that story arc to me was becoming more stronger in this new film than in previous ones. Yeah, because it was, it was actually, it really grounded the wife and helped explain a few things why yeah. the husband wouldn't talk to her about something because she obviously has had this trauma yeah. and it's still very real for her, which which I thought made her really believable. Agreed. Um, and actually, yeah, she wasn't really in it enough. No. Um, and, and this is the thing, right? But she saw, go on, no, no, go on. No, just sort of without you know jumping around too much. When she sort of comes home and sees Eddie for the first time, yeah, you know she's she's clearly horrified, but then decides to hang around for a bit. You know, it's it's like she's standing by the door. Yeah, her dead daughter's just rocked up. She's like, oh, I'll just be upstairs with my son. Yes, you know. Yeah, not like, like, like nothing's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that decision was a bit strange for me. I I really I really was hoping. I was talking to. Uh, uh, Richard, one of the fellow podcasters who I went to see the movie with afterwards, and I was like, I really thought they were going to do a big gender switch there too, and then make the wife the heroine of the piece. So she's the one that stands up to Ellie and ultimately kills Ellie. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I thought that would have been a really good choice because it would be her own way of confronting her own grief of what she struggled so much with because she feared death so much, and she would, by facing death in the face, i.e. her dead daughter and confronting yeah. that and killing it I thought would have been a perfect uh, character arc but they decided not to go there and um, and I kind of went that was yeah and I was, when they when she and when Ellie kills the wife you know the mum I went uh, okay that seemed a bit pointless um, yeah and then even the big strong like okay we're back to Louis again and even that was like a big fight in the pet cemetery to then have him dead as well and then you know, being dragged off and resurrected, I kind of went. Well, what does that mean? What are you trying to say there? That we're only ever this, this is it trying to say that dysfunctional families will only reunite in death? 
Um, you know, so I'd... yeah, I didn't even feel like it was done with as much tent or you I feel to me. To me, it feels like you're almost giving a bit too much credit. I am. Like, I think there's there's a lot of imagery, yeah, a lot of imagery and messaging and yeah. and uh, hidden meaning throughout the book and in yeah. even the first film. But with this one, I almost feel like they've got the script, they've got the acts, they're just like, ah, but what if? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it was early instead, or, you know, at the end, this happens. I... I Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but it, it just feels to me like with the ending, it was just like, mm. oh well, let's try and do something a bit different to what's just for the sake of it. Yeah, not I to try and get a, a, a new message in general. I mean, maybe I'm being cynical. I don't know. No, I, I completely agree with you. That's exactly where I, ca- I came from as well. And, and if I'm not conveying that, then I, I'm just trying. I guess I'm trying to play devil's advocate with it. But I completely agree with you. Like I. I was incredibly underwhelmed by the ending. It that last act felt so rushed, um, and it felt like to uh, me they didn't actually know how to end it. And they went, "Well, what do we do? Uh, all right, well, you know, we've got to be slightly different, that's it. And slightly, um, you know, cutting edge. What do we do? All right, let's let's have them kind of all resurrected at the end." And um, yeah, yeah, I just and in the ending as well with the um, you know with, with Gage in the car. And then it cuts to black, and you hear the the unlocking of the door. Um, I'm just going, yeah. right, okay. <laughs> and I like we like yeah, we even sat it. we even sat around at the end to see if there was a post credits bit because I thought maybe there is going to be a post credits thing because that just felt, mm. but no, nothing. So oh, I don't I, I, I don't want to be too savage because. Um, but I, because I, I, I do want to champion horror films, but I feel like this was just a big letdown. I was, I, I was really disappointed. Yeah, and it's, it's weird as well because the day before I'd seen Dumbo, which you know is obviously another reimagining or whatever you want to call it, and I had the same sort of thing. I felt like there were the, exactly the same beats, yeah. and they just tried to add another layer to it or try and change it but didn't really do anything new yeah and that's what I'm worried we've got to look forward to like you look I remember at the end of last year I looked at the lineup of films that are coming up and so many of them are based on original properties yeah or they're just a sequel or prequel yeah and I think actually it was announced yesterday yesterday uh, sorry it was announced very recently that they're um might be doing a prequel to this movie, to the New Pet Cemetery, which is probably what you touched on with maybe Judd's mm. family and things okay. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, that's interesting. I don't see the point of that personally. Um, I don't, I don't see what uh, yeah. unless unless you do all the all the backstory of like him as a kid and and where it all began. That's one thing. One thing I did like about this movie, the the recent one, was the kids' procession through the forest bit at the beginning, because it lent itself to this kind cool. of folk uh, imagery, like um, which is is very now you know, where you know folk has folk horror has been kind of resurrected again, mm. um, and I liked that element of it, and I wanted more from that because I felt. Well, from the trailer, I was like, "Oh, that'd be really interesting if you went that route," and it became this kind of very um, Wicker Man esque kind of, you know, we, yeah. we keep everything insular here, and these are like these are our rituals that we go through, um, and played more on that. That would have been kind of interesting. And I thought 
when they were hinting that they were going to go in a different direction with this movie, I thought, oh, that if that's it, that might be actually quite uh, quite a cool stroke to play. Me too, yeah, like this historical yeah. sort of folklore. And, yeah. And then they did try it again, shoehorn something in where there's like, where was it? There was like a photo of, I think, was it in the 50s or something? Yeah. And you see exactly the same kids. I think it was exactly the same kids. Yeah. During the procession. Yeah, that's in right. the photo. There was a newspaper photo that he was skimming through and stuff. So he was hinting yeah, at like, this it. stuff. Or, and I thought that would have been really cool if he started uncovering this stuff. And it became almost like this secret kind of um, cult, a cult thing where mm. there's you know everyone's aware of it, and it's that's a, that's hinted a bit, a little bit in the movie, uh, in the novel is is the fact, this fact that there are not everyone's aware of it, but some people are within the village, um, and it's a bit of this kind of very tight knit kind of group that are aware that this thing does exist beyond the pet cemetery. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, is it sort of, sorry, is it text, because you know the, the the ground's gone sour, yeah. or whatever the phrase is. Yeah. Is it, was it originally built by Native Americans and then the Wendigo came in and then turned it? Do you sort of think, is that what the message is from, you know, is that something Yeah, like, it, look, it was or? either that or it's, or it's the flip of that in the sense that it was always uh, a land that was had mis- a mystical component to it and and uh, the Wendigo's presence was always there and when the Native Americans used it they kind of they they were drawn to this power because you know like it you know, it's well documented that Native Americans are in, in touch with the land and spirit and it makes sense that a tribe like that would be drawn to this energy so that kind of works, that whole kind of element to it. So I, I always felt like that that's what happened. But then in doing so, uh, the the tribe then realised that this energy isn't necessarily a good energy and there's there's a bad energy that's coming up it and they were and they fled. Right, they abandoned it. They abandoned it, yeah. And that's where yeah. they put up all the, the uh, they barricaded it off to try and stop people from going through. Um, right. and declared it sacred land so that um, people wouldn't go there and build on it and then you get this uh, whole thing where um, Louis' property backs onto it because they're starting to sell land off again and you know uh, a bit poltergeist-esque but you know yeah. the whole kind Moving of thing moving to of, a new town <laughs> yeah 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 exactly so um, but I felt like it's I, I feel like that to me speaks more to me as well I feel like there's something about uh, this kind of entity that exists beyond mankind before mankind mm. was even around it's always been there um, and tapping into that I think it's kind of kind of a cool thing um, and I loved in the original when you you visit the, the Native American, the circle and everything and the burial ground. Yeah. It just looks incredible. You've got the oh. scale to it. Um, and then compared to the, the modern one, it's just the worst green screen ever <laughs> with like rolling, rolling dry ice across the floor. Yeah. And, you know, it's, ominous trees moving. Yeah. It, it's weird it was, as well because it, oh, it it just looked like the top of a, a rock. To, like forgive, like if we just forgive the fact that it's a green screen for a second, 
it just looked like they're on top of a big rock, uh, rocky, rocky area, right? Whereas in, in the original movie, it's clearly marked out that it's an ancient burial ground. And so you automatically are drawn uh, into the belief, the backstory of this thing. Um, and, you know, and, and, and in the extras, Mary Lambert, again, the director of the original one, talked about how important it was to create the pet cemetery and, and build it themselves. And also, um, again, the, the, the ancient burial ground beyond, they kind of built it to size and made it look authentic. There was a lot of belief in that. And, and so when they're filming on this thing, they could feel this energy anyway while they're creating it. Um, Whereas it, it, that's what that's what I felt like a lot about this new film. I hate the fact that I'm kind of panning it so much, um, but it felt like it, everything was so fake about it. You know, the characters mm. were fake, the emotions were fake. The, the, Even uh, the cat wasn't that great sometimes. Yeah, like first seen church, I'm like, what is that? It's just a stuffed animal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, was, yeah it was weird. Like that. Yeah, it was really, really strange. Really strange. Um, yeah, uh, I thought it was just like you know, like and, and Lam- Mary Lambert said, like when you walked on the set, you could just tell instantly that you're in a horror movie because they put so oh. much authenticity in in the set design, um, and you kind of feel that, you know. Um, yeah, it's very strange, very strange choices made in this new one. Um, and it, but the the key thing about the the original movie too is that Stephen King wrote the screenplay for it as well. Um, yeah. So, so he had a big hand in, in the writing of it. He, uh, Mary Lambert, only uh, got the gig, but in order to do that, she had to first meet Stephen King beforehand, uh, before she was actually given the gig. So King had a lot of weight behind that movie, and uh, but she did say he was always really approachable on set. He was always kind of very giving and with ideas and kind of open to helping with the creativity behind it. Um, but also it was filmed in Maine which is where the movie is set uh, sorry the novel is set um, and again that was kind of trying to capture everything that was in the book and have it set in a place that um, the novels are uh, based on uh, and, and Stephen King was 20 minutes he lived 20 minutes down the road from where it was shot so it, it just leapt into uh, into this world to recreate this for the screen whereas it just shifted gears in this new one by having it in a very kind of wooded wooded terrain and everything was quite open in the original movie whereas you know which added to the horror like you know like it could like you know you're so used to these darkened images but by having everything so open and that moment where gage gets run down by the truck it's oh it's 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 so hard because you could see that the the horror coming or unfolding from a great distance away and yet there's nothing that Louis can do to prevent it from happening yeah and the thing is they tried to do that with Ellie's death yeah. in the new one Yeah, and it's funny now you're saying it I can picture it clearly it's like is her death was so drawn out and long yeah. that you just kind of like it loses any any impact almost yeah, yeah. it's almost like no <laughs> yeah there's no whereas whereas with Gage in the first one it just shook you yeah it still does even thinking about yeah, it now yeah. it does um, just brutal and like even like you know you've got you've got a testament to the, the kid the guy that played Gage in the original one um 
Yeah, it's great. Miko Hughes, his name was. And he's... And, like, a lot of people were saying to Mary Lambert, where well, if you cast a kid, a young kid, it's best to get twins because you can kind oh, of yeah. get around their whole... Because there's, you know, child acting laws where they can only work so many hours a day. But when she met Miko, she kind of instantly knew he was the right person for the gig. And so... Um, and so she was like, "No, this is this is Gage. This is the character he needs to be." And she said he was so good in the movie um, when they were shooting stuff, and was quite open to playing around and and the role, especially when he dies and you know doing that. Um, no fair, no fair. Oh, don't. Oh, mate. <laughs> Before he kind of collapses down on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's just elements to it, and and she was really uh, conscious of that bit where she gets him dressed up as, in the Victorian outfit with the top hat and the cane. Because uh, yeah. there's a lot of uh, image, there's a painting of, in uh, Rachel's childhood home in the background of a woman in that same outfit, and that's what it was playing on this image of the fear and that death had over her and her sister dying and stuff, and what her family home meant was it was it was a you know the whole time it was it was a like living in a, in a morgue essentially because they had this. Uh, her sister, her sibling, who was on the verge of death every waking minute of the day, um, and that was always hanging over her. And so, of course, when she confronts death in the shape of her dead son, Gage, at the end of that movie, it brings with it everything she remembers of death, and which is why we have him dressed in that outfit, and we also have mm-hmm. the present, like him, uh, the the body almost shape like no, they didn't use shape shifting, but she sees the image of her sister coming towards her as well. So it, it plays on everything around that, and that's what I loved about it. I loved the, the whole imagery and everything that that evokes to me really sat sat with me, and I, and I felt like that's what was missing with this new film. Uh, it didn't it didn't grip me enough. Like I wanted it to go dark. I wanted it to play on on what death means and. Yeah, just to me, it just didn't, you know. And it was just, yeah, it just felt a real, real letdown, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. It's a bit of a shame. Yeah. Because um, um, Ellie in the original was actually a twin. Yeah, she yeah, was a twin, the yeah. Same thing you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, exactly for the same um, reason, too. And her performance was really cool. Well, their performance was, was really cool, I should say. Um, the, yeah. the other thing I just wanted to, you know, also touch on was um, just a couple of things. Something that um, I just wanted to mention about Stephen King and the novel. Um, uh, he was inspired by his own daughter, apparently, who had a cat called Smucky, who died in an accident. I don't know whether it was a car accident or not, but died. And he and his him having to explain to her about death because that was her first real. Her interaction with it was something that really struck with him, and that's what he kind of took that and carried that into this into what is known as the Pet Cemetery novel. Um, there are uh, suggestions that he uh, King was also inspired by um, uh, a novel um, that was called The Monkey's Paw, uh, which was written by W. W. Jacobs, um, and that it was kind of like. Um, I think it was part of a collection of stories, but like well, one of them is there's a story in it where uh, this character gets uh, granted three wishes um, to the owner of the monkey's paw, and the but the three but the wishes come with a bit of a 
a price attached to them um, and where people's fate comes into play. Um, and the reason why, why I talk about the inspiration that comes from that is um, that um, if you look at um, the Pet Cemetery story, uh, they it, there are kind of, you could argue that there are three wishes there as well. So the first wish would be bringing Church back from the dead, because he doesn't want uh, his daughter to be impacted by death. Yeah. But it has its repercussions because Church comes back not the same. Then Gage dies, and so he brings him back. So that's his second wish. He was like, I want to re I want to fix that. And then that comes back with his bad news. But then the third thing is he brings his wife back. So there's again, it's playing with the free wishes thing. But we, it hint, it never shows it, but it hints that that third thing isn't going to end well either. Um, oh, fair enough. So I, I found that kind of an interesting kind of component to it. Um, and also, it, apparently, with um, he. A lot, a lot of this book apparently is very similar to his life with, like, with his daughter, but also he had a near miss with his son Owen. Yes, apparently. that's exactly right. That was the other thing I was just looking at my notes, going, "I've missed something." But yeah, exactly right. Um, and that fear of of that hung over him, that stuck with him, and I think that's why it was such a hard book for him to write, and why he was so reluctant to release it, like we said at the very beginning. Um, we didn't mention much about the Pascal character. Um, so the, the the Victor Pascal character that um, died uh, by being hit by a car. It's the first like real gruesome moment that happens in uh, in the hometown where they live. You know, so uh, and that's that's always been a strange one for me. Cause it's always yeah. I think whenever whenever I do a podcast, you end up talking about the VHS covers. <laughs> but this one's this one for me. I never understood why he was on the front. I mean, I guess he was. A little bit more gory, but you know the, the image of Pet Cemetery I have in my mind and post and stuff mm. is where it's half and half. It's like you know him and then just yeah, the, the cemetery right. or graveyard underneath. That's right. And like, it just it just never made much sense to me because for me he wasn't really a, a, an important character. And then mm. in, in, in the new one, it just I don't know. It's, he kept on dipping in and out and appearing here and there. Yeah, and, I, I didn't like the way they like, used him in the new one. Um, I, I just I felt it was a bit lost, uh, especially because I, again, you might be saying I read too much into this, Nick, but for for me the Victor Pascal character is so important in the novel and in the original film because he is the the key, he's the warning of or or of what is to come. He's he's mm. he's almost like the reverse of um, uh, of the angel in It's a Wonderful Life. In the, in the sense that he's he's a, an embodiment of death, warning Louis about what happens if you go down this road, um, yeah. and and that's why it's and and what what I think um, and he does that and when that fails when it fails to um, get through the Louis that's why he starts to visit Ellie in the novel and it's oh, that's good. kind of hinted at in in the. Um, uh, in the in the original film as well, um, so he does. He comes and visits Ellie because, like, well, that's not worked. I need to go to somebody to get the message across. So he he goes to somebody that has to have the ability to touch or have a gift. What would you call that gift, Paul? I would call it the Shining, mate. 
would you? <laughs> yeah. Um, which is hinted at that Ellie Creed, Ellie Creed has the shining. Um, and and that's where, like, when you look at the original, it doesn't work with that. Although they may hint that Gage has it instead in the new one. Um, because he visits Gage instead. Um but yeah, there's there's hint there hit there's hints there anyway that she has it, and he goes to her, and obviously, in the in the novel and in the original film, with her telling the mum that she's been visited by this ghostly figure called Pax Cow, she pronounces it wrong, um, and she doesn't quite register it at first, and it's, and it's it's only like she keeps playing with that name, going, why do I know that name? Why does that sound familiar? And then she realizes that her daughter's trying to say Pascal, and it, and the penny drops, and she's like, "There's no way that her daughter would know of this person called Pascal that was killed on, you know, on, you know, in the university on where campus, where he works yeah. on the campus." And she's like, "Something's not right here," and that's why she then goes on a mission to try and go back, get back home, and find out what's going on because that's when she's like, "Yeah, look, actually, Louis has been a bit odd." And he was kind of keen for us to go away. What's going on? So, and that's why she then, she's, you know, unfortunately it, it seals her doom because she's then led to her death in pursuing that, you know. It just makes it all the more tragic. Um, yeah. So but what was what was strange for me in the new version, like, yeah. I don't know if it's the same in the, the original one either, but the warning comes very early on before Church has even died. Yes. It's just like, just because they they're living near the house, or oh, sorry, that they just because they bought the house. Yes, you know it's it's almost too early. Mm. It's it's warning him before he's even had a chance to know what's going on. And the only other thing I think about the Pascal character is that, um, which I think is why his face became on on the VHS cover, like you were saying, is that he. Uh, he is quite a memorable character in in, the, in that. I mean, I know you said you didn't think he was, but I think people remember the gory part of it. He kind of reminded me, and also because it, he was the comical tone in it as well. It was almost a bit of light relief, um, which juxtaposed the you know the, what we're physically seeing with him because he's a you know uh, he's a he's oozing blood all over the place from his head wounds who um what's his name in American Wealth in London and thank you that was exactly what I was about to say which reminded oh, me of that so much no 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 I'm, I'm, it just proves that we're on the same wavelength because yeah. that's what it reminded me of I, especially when yeah. I was re-watching it recently um I was like yeah I kind of like that I like it, whether that was a deliberate nod uh to that I don't know but I think it worked in that instance and I think that's why people uh, why that stuck with people when they when they watched the original, and that's why he ended up on the VHS cover. And the guy that played him was um, was often talking about, you know, he's often people recognise him on the street even still now, going, "Oh, you're that dude from um, Pet Cemetery," because um, it was a very distinct look. Um, but yeah, that's I mean I think that kind of covers where we're at with the Pet Cemetery stuff. I'm not really sure what else to cover across the, as I said, the three uh, spectrums that we spoke about with the book the, and the original and the, the, uh, the modern film. Um, I guess I know that you've not read the book, um, but I always like to ask this question when I, fi when I finish the podcast anyway with our podcasters, as, and you'll know it when I ask it. But um, with the original, 
do you think it still stands today and would you recommend it to a modern audience and with the new one do you think um, it will uh, so Pet Sematary just celebrated the original movies just celebrated 30 years if we fast forward 30 years down the track do you think people will still be talking about this new movie um, I don't think so because I don't think there's anything new there to be honest I think there's a few horror tropes that it kind of touches on yeah been before um, I still have such fond memories of that original movie because I watched it as a kid and it was genuinely terrifying yeah like genuinely got um, I would have been I don't know probably maybe around 12 years old something like that yeah and I probably saw it again a little bit after that but I haven't seen it since so I still have all those memories that you know I'm sure I'm almost worried to rewatch it because if I rewatch it it doesn't hold up yeah, you know, that's that's a concern. Like, that's part of the reason why I think they went with Ellie this time. Yeah, because it's a bit more still not believable, but it's slightly more believable having her running around cutting people. There yeah, Gage. Yeah, um, just because you have like Chucky girls playing and this little kid running. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm talking about how like you know Gage would leap it in. It would it still might seem a little bit comical at times. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I, I don't think anyone's. I mean, look, I just, it sounds like we have just been bagging out, as you say. Yeah. Um, the, the new version. I'm always careful to choose my words because it's not a remake. Cause they're not remaking the film. No, they're no, no, they're, no, they're not. Doing, right? That's right. It's yeah. they've definitely. It, it's an inspiration uh, from the novel. Yeah. Yeah. Like. I think on the whole, it was still enjoyable. You know, I think it was, it probably tugged the nostalgia, it probably tugged the nostalgia strings for me more than anything mm. else. But like, mm. oh yeah, there was that great bit in the original movie. Um, I was still, I was still interested in it. It's still, it's a good film. Mm. It's good. It's it's the same as a Dumbo. It's, it's a good film. It's fine. But I'm not sure how necessary it is. Um, Again, if, if the original didn't hold up, then maybe it is. Maybe it's a great story that, you know, people coming into it who haven't seen it before will love it. Yeah. Um, but for me, who, you know, has fond memories, um, yeah. it was just, it was there's some good jump scares. I actually, you know, contrary to what you're saying, I actually thought Ellie was pretty good, the, the actress. That yeah, yeah, so I've heard she yeah. Uh, um, but then, I find um, Jason Clark sometimes hit and miss. Yeah. He, he was okay. He felt a bit too rigid. I don't feel like you've really got to care for him too much. I agreed. And John Lithgow, but he was kind of just of doing John Lithgow. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do love him, but it just didn't feel, you know, um, didn't really stand out to me. Um, yeah. But the actual, the, the little gauge, the kid was really good like yeah. he, he was they had a, a some odd ADR moments where they recorded this, the voice separately yeah um, where they you know they'd be hugging him then you'd hear like I love you daddy yeah yeah and that, that sort of you know pulled me out of the movie yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, on the whole it was good I, I think people I'm sure my kids will watch. My my kids will really want to see this film already. Sure. Just because the imagery, they've seen the kids in the past and they're like, "Wow, that looks awesome." Yeah, but I want to watch that. 
but it's, but you're it, not watching that. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. That's the thing. I think it's 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 a lot of smoke and mirrors with this film, um, and it doesn't. Mm. You know, you you what's the what's the expression? You you peel back the uh, the 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 outer layer, and it's there's nothing underneath it. There's no there's no substance to it, and I think that's that's where I I feel let down. Because you've got you've got the rich story. The, yeah. the book background in your head. Yeah, I, I think that's playing against it there. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I think while I'm I'm coming in it with Stephen King tinted glasses on. Um, yeah, and um, <laughs> and so I I'm not I'm not watching it with those fresh eyes, and which will be interesting to see what the modern audience would take from it. But like I say that, but then like you know, um, I if we use the more recent Halloween film, I felt that sat more in a contemporary setting it, it had a it had something contemporary to say um and it still played the nostalgia card with the nods to the original movie within it um to satisfy um uh, those people that grew up with that film and i i think that's kind of what i was hoping for was that kind of similar thing coming out of this movie um and then just the throwing you know blumhouse are going gangbusters with a lot of their production stuff and whether you like them or not they they're kind of hitting a bit of a a, a note perfect thing within uh, speaking to the new generation with their movies um, that works like the Happy Death Day kind of uh, two both those movies kind of sit so nicely within that market um, that they're definitely doing something right and tick those boxes and when you watch that even as an old duffer like myself now um, and not necessarily who it's aimed for I I appreciate what they're doing with those movies and go yeah do you know what yeah it might not be for me but i can see i can see how this would how this is speaking to the next generation and i don't get that from this movie i don't get that that's playing the same the same card with pet symmetry and i think they're at the risk of becoming a bit formulaic as well with some of the blonde hair stuff like you know more the same kind of rhythm to each movie and you know you need something different every yeah. once in a while like, like even though Get Out I love Get Out it's obviously hints of other movies within it but yeah. it's still very much its own film yeah yeah that's right and I haven't yet to see as as we're recording I haven't seen Us yet either but that's kind of the same kind of feel what Peel was doing Mike Flanagan has recently done The, the, the Haunting of Hill House but I, I was a fan of his stuff prior to that coming out you know with, with the likes of Hush and Absentia Oculus um, and and I, I really like that guy I think he has a great way of telling narrative he knows his craft and he's able to weave that into his uh, into his films and I think people like that are what's keeping horror on, on the edge and, and kind of being current in a, in a refreshing way. Um, so there is hope. Horror still has hope there. And I just don't know whether it's within the likes of Pet Cemetery and remaking those, or re-envisioning these films. They just got to be a bit smarter about how they do it. And I don't think that worked in this instance. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think... Being a bit edgier and darker would definitely support that. Yeah. Because just doing the same thing that was edgy and darker 30 years ago. Yeah. Doesn't really that. No. I'm not saying it just for the sake of it, but there are, I'm sure there's ways of, you know, making that story a bit more interesting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Cool. All right, man. Well, I think that's us for the uh, Pet Cemetery podcast discussions. Um, thank you again for listening. If you've got any thoughts on uh, maybe you are one of these kind of the, the new generation guys that come out, watch Pet Cemetery. Maybe you love it. Let us know uh, your thoughts um, when you hit us up on our, our social media sites. Um, yeah, give us, give us a doll. Um, until then, I'm your host, Saul Muerte, and I was joined for this podcast episode with Nick Alford. Thank you, mate. As always. Thank you very much. Goodbye. You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.